If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Shutdown, coronavirus shutdown, one-on-one sessions, and this time we're delighted to be joined by, it still takes a lot of getting used to to say it, but former Belfast Giants, Colin Shields. Colin, how you doing? Hi, Davey. Thanks for having me on. Colin, this is going to be one of those uh, retrospectives. Uh, we're going to try and go right back to the very start, and if you can, I'm sure you can, can you remember you know, that, f- that fabulous rink that you went to in Paisley when you were just a little boy? <laughs> I think it's funny you say Paisley. It goes way back even longer than that. I mean, uh, for me, growing up, the first ice I was ever on was a rink in Glasgow called Cross Maloof. I don't know if you've ever heard of that rink before. Yeah, I thought it was in Paisley, but there you go. Uh, yeah, it's in a nicer part of town. No offense to anybody out there, but that's not really. But the um, but yeah, my, my dad was involved with hockey back then. He was a player and a coach. Uh, was Glasgow Dynamos and then played for Great Britain as well. And then my mom was a figure skater and figure skating instructor. So when I was younger, you'd have to check with them on the ages, but say, I don't know, two, three, up to maybe four or five, started out skating across Maloof and hang around the rink when they were working and playing and coaching. And um, then actually when the rink shut down, um, stopped skating completely. My mom and dad both got out of the hockey and the skating game for a while. My dad focused on um, sort of his trades and, and construction and building and his business and my mom um, stayed away from hockey for about probably close to about six or seven years uh, till we f- found the Summit Centre was the rink in, in Glasgow which opened up um, I, I'd have to say when I was probably about eight or nine um, my mom and I were actually on a Saturday looking for a, a bowling alley a 10-pin bowling alley in Glasgow which had just opened up and we, we stumbled upon the, upon the rink and Decided to go in there, and, and the manager of the rink used to work at the Cross Maloof rink, and he gave us a pair of skates to try, and I think for about six or seven months every Saturday, I'd go public skating. Did that for, for a while, and then uh, to fast forward a little bit, went to hockey school in Canada. My dad's brother lived in Canada. Went to hockey school there in the summer and loved it, bought some equipment. My parents bought some equipment, came back, joined the team, and things progressed from there. Well, as I said to you before we started here, you know, my my reference point here is your Elite Prospects page and obviously that Notre Dame summer and, and then you came back and played a few games for your dad with the Paisley Pirates. Yeah, so then uh, obviously it was growing up in, in Glasgow, they were playing and at the Summit Centre was a big curling rink as well and so we only really had hockey on the weekends and, you know, give, give my dad a lot of credit to, to my early hockey development and, um, having your dad as a coach was a, was a big positive and he did a lot with the youth development there as well and my, my uncle Colin Stephen Murphy's uh, stepdad he was involved in the coaching as well and um, so we used to play basically only on the weekends we get to play hockey on Saturdays that was pretty much it uh, sometimes Sundays if we had an away game uh, and then we'd go public skating a lot uh, in East Kilbride there was a new a new public skating rink and uh, my dad was influential in making uh, some hockey practices at that rink and if you've ever been to that rink it's it's right in the middle of a shopping center. So it's, you know, real glass all the way around, not plexiglass. So we were able to play on, I think, Tuesday, Thursday nights with plastic pucks at, say, 10 o'clock at night till, till midnight or something like that. But, you know, just getting at that age, getting on the ice a little bit more and being able to sort of work on your skating and skills, um, you know, was a big influence. And then, as you said, in Paisley, uh, I think the Pirates started around 1992 maybe. 91, 92, somewhere around there. And, uh, you know, so that opened up a lot of avenues for uh, my dad with his coaching, but also for me with getting on the ice more with the, the professional guys and then with the other age groups in Paisley and uh, allowed me to really get a lot more, uh, you know, opportunity to, to practice more and play more games with different teams against different competition before getting the opportunity to go to Canada. 
I don't know whether I'm sure your dad's told you a story, but I don't know how it just involved you. Might have been we had Simon Kitchen on the one on one. I know I know I've spoke to your dad Martin previously about the the famous time the team from Belfast came over and stopped the uh, the all conquering Paisley Pirates from having a perfect season. Do you have any recollections of that actual game? Yeah, I was at that game. I mean, I used to practice with Paisley. Um, the, I think we used to practice Tuesday, Thursday nights at, at say nine thirty at night, and then on Wednesday and Friday mornings. So, um, used to skip out of school or you know miss school on Wednesday and Friday mornings to get to go to practice with the with the imports of the guys that didn't have jobs. And I remember that season, the first year Paisley came into the league. I think they made them play in the I'm not sure what the league was, but the Scottish Division One or Scottish Division, um, which Castle Ray was in. Um, which Sizz was obviously on the team and Paisley had pretty much an unbeaten season going and then Castle Ray came in and I can't remember the score but uh, you know Castle Ray played an almost perfect game I think Jim Graves was in that and uh, I remember you know everything went their way that night and uh, there was a few scraps because a few of the imports on Paisley weren't too happy with the way that uh, the game was going and you know fair play to Sizz and the other boys from Castle Ray they played a great game and um, well deserved to, to knock him off that night and then uh you obviously, you'd said previously that you'd had a summer in, in America or Canada. You went away again with the Kitchener Junior Rangers. Yeah, so pretty much from when I was about, since that first summer that I went over to Canada, uh, it must have been around 10 or 11, I, I went back every summer to hockey camp, uh, Northwestern Hockey Sports Camp, which was just north of Toronto at Wasega Beach. There was a camp there. Every summer, and then every summer, it seemed to I seemed to stay for longer and longer. I would stay for a couple of weeks at the start, then it would be gone to the you know two, four, six weeks, and then by the time I was fifteen, sixteen, I would be staying for almost the whole summer, eight weeks, getting on the ice almost every day. And uh, you know, the last couple of summers I was going to that camp, I was you know helping out as an instructor at it as well, and then you know, or you know, a bit of a gopher, and then uh, taking part in the sort of the the older camp they had there. So. Uh, then, yeah, I started, you know, going from Notre Dame at the boarding school there to progressing on to Kitchener, played midget. Uh, then a couple of years, junior C, junior B there. Um, and Kitchener, a, a former player for the Paisley Pirates, Terry McCutcheon, he was uh, coach of the, the Kitchener Dutchman junior B team there. So he said, come on over to Kitchener and try out for the team. And the first year I went over there, uh, I think it was only 16, 15, maybe 15 or 16. And I uh, wasn't quite good enough to make the junior B team. So I stayed and played for the midget team and got to practice with the junior B team. So Terry was a big help there. Uh, and then progressed on to playing for the junior B team. Uh, and then it sort of looked like, you know, at the time in Ontario, the Kitchener Rangers was a big, you know, the, the Ontario Hockey League. That was a big deal for kids at that age to try and play for the Rangers. And there's been a, quite a few giants that played for the Rangers. Adam Keefe played for the Rangers. I'm trying to think. Jeffrey Suez, I think, played for the Rangers. You'd have to check your stats there to see who else did. But, uh, you know, I always wanted to play in the OHL. You were go- got to go to the games for free and watch those players. It was obviously a level up from what I was playing in junior B. But uh, as a 16-, 17-year-old kid, I didn't really have the size that I have now. Um, that's a joke, obviously. But uh, it was maybe a little bit later developing in the size department. Uh, so, you know, playing the OHL wasn't really realistic for me at that point. Um, so I had an opportunity to go down and play in Cleveland. There was a coach who was the assistant coach down there, uh, Blaine Boyle, who was at the Northwestern Hockey Sports Camp. And he uh, he got in touch and said, hey, there's a junior A program down in Cleveland. Do you want to come down, have a look around, see what you think? And uh, so my uncle and I drove down there one spring. Uh, went down there and uh, the coach down there, late Tim Alexander, uh, passed away a few years back. He was... Uh, you know, a great guy, great coach, ran that whole program and, and ran the program was ran by the Goble family. They actually own uh, Lakefront Lines, which is the biggest bus company in a bunch of those states there, Ohio and Virginia, et cetera. And, and they were great to me and really took care of all the guys that played there. And You know, not a big arena, but, you know, hockey was the only sport played or the only sort of thing that was happening on that ice. So you got to go on the ice pretty much any time, any, any day you wanted. So... For me, as a as a seventeen eighteen year old kid wanting to play hockey, it was it was perfect opportunity for me to go down there and play and uh, get on the ice as much as possible. Was the Barons the place you played where the coach would drive the bus and sometimes skate you after a, after a <laughs> loss when you got back? Well, he wasn't he wasn't quite driving the bus. I mean, the owner of the team he he uh, he owned the bus company, so we actually uh, me and a couple of guys we had an apartment 
apartment above the offices of the bus depot. So people were coming in to, to buy bus tickets for, you know, trips to Atlantic City, etc. And we were, we were upstairs in this apartment uh, above from the office. So a few good times are had there. But uh, yeah, so the, because the owner owned the rink and owned the team, we would get back from, I think we played Chicago or something. It's about a six-hour drive from Cleveland. And we drove a lot. We got spanked on the on the trip, and we get back on the bus. I think I told this story on the podcast before. And and my dad was my dad was over, so he was on the, on the bus, and he said, "Oh, we, well, that was a shit game we lost, or whatever." And uh, he goes, "Oh, we're gonna put a movie on or something." And the coach got on the bus. It was like, "No movies, boys. We're watching we're watching the game tapes." So they put the old VHS tape on there, so we had to watch the tape. And anytime there was a goal scored or a mistake made, he would almost like rewind it and then just turn and look back and shake his head at the player who made the mistake but then the funniest part was we get back to the rink at like three four in the morning and so we start unpacking our bags and just like in true young blood style he says uh don't hang them up boys put them on and made us go out in the ice at three or four in the morning and, and bag skated us for a good hour and my dad gotten back <laughs> that's like yeah well i'm going back to the apartment i'll see you when you get back so uh we did that a couple times one time after a home game uh, he gave us like 15 minutes to grab a drink or something. And then we ate back on the ice, told all our families or friends that were there to watch the game to go home. He skated us for an hour. But, uh, but you know, Tim was a great guy. And, and some of the stuff I don't think he'd ever get away with now and, and the way, how, how tough he was on the players. And um, But I wouldn't change any of that for a minute. I mean, uh, you know, you would never think it's, you know, back-talking a guy like that or, you know, the passion he had for the game. And, and you knew how much he cared about the players and wanted you to, to do well. And, he knew what it took to be a winner, and, and he obviously was a big influence on me getting a scholarship to Maine out of, out of Cleveland. Before we go on to the University of Maine sort of stuff, you had already had, you know, GB honours on their 20s for a, for a number of years up to then. For someone that wasn't really playing too much hockey, how was the uh, international representation coming about? Um, well, I think going back to sort of like, the, I think back then, I remember we used to have Scotland v. England games. And actually, before I went to Canada, I broke my ankle, I think, when I was 12 or 13 in a Scotland v. England game in Fife. Uh, and then, uh, so I think we we're always sort of in touch with those teams. I think around the under 16 GB level, there was a School of Excellence camp down in Basingstoke. And uh, all the best players from around Great Britain, Scotland, England, obviously Wales and I think there was some kids there from Northern Ireland actually would go over. Maybe Mo might you'd have to check with Mo if he was there or Wally, but um and you go there for camps in the summer. Um but I, I can't remember if we ever played any Great Britain under sixteen games. Uh and then yeah, as it progressed to the under twenties, you you know, I think I went I played in an under twenty tournament in Estonia maybe when I was or, or Romania when I was sixteen. You'd have to check the stats on that too. But I think I played when I was sixteen, then I went to one when I was seventeen. Uh, and then when I was 18, I think I missed out on it because I was living in, I was playing in Cleveland. And then when I, my last year junior in Cleveland, uh, I went over to the tournament in Japan over the millennium. And I think that was when we came third and we won our first medals. That was the first medal I ever won with GB. Uh, it was in Japan. Uh, we won the bronze medal. And then the following year, as you've already said, university came calling and you, and you took up the opportunity to go to Maine. Yeah, it's kind of weird how it, it comes around. I feel like you don't really know much about how it works. And then, uh, you know, once I got down to Cleveland, all the chats no longer about the OHL or Major Junior. It's all about college hockey and trying to get a scholarship and, and just learning about that process, how complicated it is and all the rules that the NCAA have. It's it's quite a, quite a complicated process and uh, doing your SAT exams and making sure that you're, you know, finishing up your high school grades and getting enough grades to get into school. But um, the schools that I was going to, you know, as long as you're at a, a good passing grade and good attendance and, and we're doing your work, you, you know, you weren't too worried about getting into, into schools. I think it's more if you're going to sort of your Yale and Colgate and Harvard, I think your grades are, you know, slightly more, uh, strict, but, um, yeah, so started, uh, my last year in junior, I had good points my first year. And then my last year, it got off to a really good start. Um, we had a good team. We won a tournament in uh, Detroit, a, a preseason type tournament at Compuware, and uh, did really well there. And, and the ball just started rolling. I was leading the league in scoring pretty early on, and uh, started to get some some offers from some schools. And did a couple of visits, and um, went to University of Miami, Ohio for a visit, uh, Michigan State, uh, and then obviously went on my visit to Maine, and, uh, and and had some some offers from other teams. I've spoken about this before: New Hampshire and Michigan, and 
a couple of other ones. But uh, you know, once I went to Maine, I, I found that uh, that was that was the place for me. And you had a couple of great coaches um, through your time in the University of Maine that you always reference back to. Yeah, Sean Walsh. He was uh, the head coach at Maine, and one thing that really stood out to me when I went to Maine was. The fact that when I went on the other visits, and nothing against those schools or, or their programs, but uh, you always sort of got carted around. You know, you get to see the campus and meet some professors and, and meet the coaches and the, the you know the strength coach, etc., and other players. But um, it, it seems like a you know a grad assistant or a volunteer type person would always take you around. But at Maine, it was you know I was taken right to the head coach's office right away, and then you went for lunch with the head coach, and he took you around, showed you this, he showed you the power play. You know, you sat in on his coaches' meetings, you sat in the team meetings, and, you know, his uh, attention to detail and his passion for the game was something that I've never seen before, especially at that point, and I, I've never seen again. And um, I've never seen a man that, uh, you know, put so much emphasis on the details and, and, and the small things. And, uh, he, you know, he was truly missed, and I was, you know, a great tragedy that, him pass after my first year there and I was very sad that I only got to play uh, sort of an exhibition game under Coach Walsh and, and never got the opportunity to play any uh, you know NCAA games under him but I uh, certainly learned a lot from that first year you know being ineligible but still being able to practice and learn from him on a day-to-day basis while he was still coaching. I'm right in saying that in your testimonial one of your teams uh, was named after the coach said so much of an impression he left on you. Yeah, he was, uh, he was just a special man. You can really see, you know, University of Maine was pretty much a club program before he went there. And uh, he took them into, you know, a Division One powerhouse national championships. And um, every year we played there, we were, you know, ranked top five in the, in the nation. And, um, you know, two two trips to the Frozen Four and two, two losses in the final, unfortunately. But um, lots of great memories and um you know, lots of fond friendships and experiences and games and stuff that, uh, you know, looking back on. And despite that first year in the University of Maine, I know you've, you've told the story before about why you had zero games, zero points in that first year, but you, you've managed to pick up a, a position with GB. You went through the age groups, you'd played for the under-20s previously, but you went to Division One with in the World Championships that year. Yeah, it was kind of a bit weird. It was... Uh, I've told this story before, but yeah, being a, I was going to a community college in Cleveland to to sort of get my student visa, and my coach didn't realize at the time that I needed a full I need to transfer a full twenty four credits. So after the first semester in Cleveland, there's only a couple months left in the season. So he said, "Well, you don't need this. You're going to go to university next year and start fresh." So I never went back for the second semester. Um, so you know, in the end, became ineligible for my first year of college, and but we didn't realize this at the time. It wasn't until pretty much the, the week before the first games of the college season in, in October that uh, this sort of came up and, and the, the compliance department, they found out about this college I was at and no one really knew anything about it. And um, So it was very unfortunate, but, uh, you know, I think it would be a lot different if I found out maybe in April or May that the year before that I was going to be ineligible. But I think because you're ready in October and, and, you know, you're ready trained for the season to start. I mean, the season only really goes till the end of March or start of April. So it wasn't really that much longer. And I was able to continue working out and practicing with the team. It just turned into, you know, quite a long off season for me. Um, but I was able to come home for a, for a full month at Christmas during the break and played a couple of exhibition games for, for Team GB. And actually, I don't know if I've even told this story, but um, with Mar- uh, Chris McSorley, was the coach of Team GB there, and he actually brought me back to these exhibition games, and I think we played them at, in Hull, or one in Hull, one Nottingham, I could be wrong. Um, and after the games, he actually told me that he wasn't picking me for the team because I hadn't been playing that year, and he didn't think I'd be ready to play in the games in uh, in, in April or, or May, whenever they were, so I actually didn't make the team that first year. And um, I was quite distraught when I went back, and I, I just used that as motivation to sort of continue to train hard. And then it was maybe about a month before the World Championships, someone got injured or pulled out, and, and he called me up and said, "Hey, uh, you know, someone's pulled out, and um, and you're you're on the team." And I think I ended up going on to have you know six goals in five games and, and some decent points in that tournament. And he actually did, you know, not many times does, does does a coach apologize to you or admit they were wrong and. You know, I thought it was pretty big of him. He came to me and he said that he had made the wrong decision when he had he had considered leaving me out of the team. And and uh, you know, 
he's glad that I came along and, and we had a good team. And that's the, that's the tournament where it came down to us being tied with uh, points with Slovenia. And it came down to the goal difference to, to see who was going to get the gold medal and get promotion. And then you go back to me and first season, make the all rookie team, GB again, and, and on and on right through your main career, you know, all Americans and, and had quite a successful tar- um, stint in Maine. Yeah, I mean, looking back, it's one of those things where I think you don't appreciate it until until after. I think at the time you're you're so focused on yeah you're enjoying the college lifestyle and you're training hard and you're you know you're enjoying the day to day process of everything and and the college environment is just amazing the to be able to play in front of five six thousand you know you know people a weekend in weekend out of not only fans but your peers like fellow students and student athletes from other sports and you know just to experience that campus lifestyle I think is something that's you know, you can't really compare it to anything. Um, and I did enjoy it and I enjoyed every minute of it, but I think you don't really appreciate how much of a special thing it is till it's gone. And uh, I think for myself, I was so focused on trying to become professional and trying to make the NHL that I probably let it pass me by a little bit um, without sort of savoring it. But uh, looking back on all the memories we had as you know, at Maine and, and some of the friendships that I created and people are still friends with now and weddings that I went to of, of players I played with. And, um, you know, especially with Maine coming back a couple of years ago and it was really special that happened to be during the testimonial that the week that the testimonial was on and Maine was there and getting to catch up with uh, the coaching staff and other people involved with the team, um, you know, that, that were there when I was there it was something that, um, you know, I'll, I'll never forget even, you know, it's almost 20 years later and to, to have that at the time is is something that was pretty special. Well, I was very fortunate to be at a dinner at the City Hall and I was I was sat with the with the main coaching staff and some of their guys, absolutely some brilliant stories they were telling you. But right at the very start, you talk about being focused on going to the NHL, right at the very start of the main career, sort of probably around June 2000 time, you're drafted by the Philadelphia Flyers. That must have been mind blowing at the time for someone that was what about twenty nineteen twenty. Yeah, I mean that was after my um, so during that my last year of junior there. Uh, you know there was always sort of rumors or you know oh there's there's NHL scouts at the game, but I mean back then there was no social media and the internet was sort of just coming out a little bit and it, you know dial up etc. And um, there, you know you don't really know. I mean to get like a draft rank, you'd have to buy a hockey news which was probably printed two weeks before so um it's, it's a little bit difficult to sort of know what was going on and you know i was it was my last year to be drafted as a 19 20 year old so i wasn't really trying to put too much of a focus on it just because i didn't want to be disappointed i mean i'd already got my scholarship to maine and focused on getting prepared for going to maine was uh the, the one, number one priority for me but uh obviously i knew the draft was coming up and I heard a couple of teams that were possibly interested, but I didn't interview with any teams and uh, there's nothing like that. And, and uh, so, you know, it was quite a surprise, but it's definitely an honor to be drafted. And the second, you know, British trained player behind Tony and, and obviously the one sandwiched in the middle after Liam Kirk uh, was drafted there, it, you know, it was an honor and something I'll never forget and, and very proud of. You go through your university career and you know, did you go to training camps or anything in between that summer before you went to the ECHL, or how did all how did all the professional move come about? Um, yeah, so because you're you're in college, you can't actually go to the the main training camps. So they have development camps in the summer uh, that you can go to, and and obviously you practice every day and you do workouts and you learn about nutrition, except things like that. But um, so in two thousand, so actually before the first year I played, so in two thousand one. I went to um, down to Philadelphia and I stayed down there for about a month. Uh, and we, I think it's only supposed to be two weeks. So if the Flyers get in trouble for this, <laughs> um, I paid all my own way. But the, uh, but yeah, but anyways, between two weeks and a month, went down there and then there was a group of guys, uh, other guys who maybe played on the Phantoms or played college uh, that were, you know, trying to make the team the next year. Those guys are going back to college, and um, that was when I first met Jim Vandermeer. He was down there with his brother Pete. Uh, and there was other guys working out and skating that were part of the group. Patrick Sharp. I'm trying to think of some other guys that were down there. Uh, you know, guys like, uh, and then there was other NHL guys down there training and working out too. So I did that for that 2001. Then I did that again in 2002 um, for about a month each summer. 
And then the summer before uh, my senior year, I got the opportunity to go out to California and train with a guy called T.R. Goodman. Um, so back in that day, he was he was responsible for training guys like Chelios, uh, Rob Blake, Dan Cleary, Sean Horkoff, big time name dropping right now, uh, Mike Comrie, uh, the Primo brothers, all those guys were out there, Jeremy Roenick, and I uh, got the opportunity to go out there for the whole summer. So I lived out in California for three months. Um, we worked out every day, six days a week. And then once uh, late July, August came along, we skated four days a week as well, four or five days a week. So I got the opportunity to skate with all those guys and uh, and train. And that really got me ready for my senior year. And I felt I had a good senior year, uh, you know, going into sort of your signing window, I guess, after your senior year, hoping to give yourself the best opportunity to, to get a contract. And what happened after that first Indian <laughs> summer where you end up in the ECHL, you know, three teams in one year? Is that a difficult is that a difficult league? Why were you bouncing about? Was it personal? Was it, you know, just what happens in the, in the pro game there? Um, well, it was a tough year for everybody. And, and um, it was the first year, I think, since 1994, 95, that there was a, I mean, I think in 94, 95, there was only a partial year of lockout too. So I think this was the first year that there was a full sort of lockout in a while. I'm not sure if there's ever been one. Um, so at the start of the, so towards the end of that year and into the summer, we were negotiating with the Flyers and, and trying to figure out what the, the plan was going to be or where I was going to end up. And, and it just looked like the Flyers were going to be stacked in the American League because it looked like there was going to be no NHL season. So I think guys who'd played less than a certain number of games and were on certain contracts could now play in the American Hockey League. So there was a big shuffle down effect. Uh, you know, where those American League teams are all going to be stacked. And, and if you listen to podcasts or read up about it, I think you can you can hear guys talking about that 2004, 2005 teams, uh, American Hockey League teams that were some of the best teams American mm-hmm. Hockey League's ever seen. I think if you go back, there's guys like uh, Joffrey Lupul, Jason Spezza. I mean, some of the teams, some of the guys on those teams were, you know, Ryan Whitney was playing for, if you listen to Spent Chicklets, you know, those guys were all playing the American League that year. And, uh, you know, pretty stacked teams. So, uh, my agent at the time, uh, he said, I don't think there's much chance you making that, that Phantoms team. He goes, uh, there's some other feelers out there. We can try and, and see what, what else is out there. He said, so he got permission and we end up getting a tryout with the, with the Cleveland, actually it was the Cleveland team, um, which was the farm team for the San Jose Sharks. So I went to rookie camp with the Sharks and, uh, that was out in California and there was the Sharks, uh, the Kings, Coyotes and the Ducks in a rookie tournament there, uh, and there was guys playing that tournament like Getzlaff, Penner, uh, Corey Perry. There was guys on um, on the Kings um, like Noah Noah Clark. All those guys. I mean, there's Dustin Brown. There was the list goes on of, of the guys playing in that tournament, and uh, yeah. So went played in that tournament, did pretty well, had a goal, a few points, and I went to the Cleveland Barons American League camp. Uh, felt like it did pretty well there, especially in this, the scrimmages and early on. And uh, I was there for about two or three weeks, and it was right down to the. I've told this story a couple of times, but just didn't. I played in three exhibition games. And I just didn't score in any of the exhibition games. Uh, and looking back, I think if I'd had a couple goals in the exhibition games, I might have got a better opportunity uh, to hang around there. And, and actually, I've told this a few times, but it came down to Mike Hoffman. Uh, the Hoffman myself and uh, they brought me in and it was literally we weren't in the room at the same time but Roy Somner the coach was there and uh, he just said yeah it's it's going to be a tough league this year and we just need a bit more size and toughness and uh, he, he literally said to me that uh, yeah he, you know he scored a lot in practice and, and in scrimmages and in the games practice games we played but just in the exhibition games didn't make goals and um, so we're going to go with the other guy and, and that's the way it went and uh, from there uh, the way it sort of works is they can recommend, because I wasn't under contract, they can recommend a couple East Coast League teams. But prior to that, I had been contacted by a couple, uh, San Diego, Idaho, um, Atlantic City, to, to name a few. And I uh, decided to go to San Diego and um, sort of worked out to, you know, maybe got off to a bit of a rough start there. Didn't sort of cement myself the way that I should have or maybe didn't wasn't mentally quite in the right place. I thought that, you know, I should have maybe had a better crack or, or, or gotten an opportunity in American League and my attitude maybe wasn't quite where it should have been. But uh, just to get off this really slow start there and points-wise didn't, uh, you know, didn't do myself justice and end up getting a trade to Atlantic City around Christmas time and did really well points-wise there. And um, Yeah, just ended up in Greenville to finish the season. Just one of those things if you're not under 
uh, an American League contract or, you know, you're kind of at the hands of, of the owners and the, the general managers there and you're just another pawn in minor league sports that gets moved around. And, um, you know, at the time it was sort of a learning experience for me and, and a very tough first-year pro. Uh, I don't know if it would change that when I'm back. Maybe selected a different team, but um, just the way it goes, I guess. When you look down your career, numbers and trophies and and personal awards, that kind of thing, it's hard. It would be hard to say you could look back on any of it with regret. But do you ever look back at that two thousand and four five season and wish you'd done something slightly different? Is is that the margins that fine that you know your AHL stroke potential NHL game down, came down to three exhibition games where you just couldn't find the net? Yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I think that uh, I mean the guy. I mean, the guy did say he did say to me, "It's not like you know I'm making that up." And, yeah. and I did feel like in the in the training camp, I was you know speed was fine and my shot was fine. And uh, but obviously, maybe as a smaller player, especially in that league that year, you know, if I had you know lit it up in the games, had like two or three goals, I think you know you'd have made it hard for them to let you go. Um, whereas if you're supposed to be a scorer, an offensive player, and you're not putting the puck in the net. You know, you've only got that one opportunity, and uh, you know if you don't show your stuff at the time, then uh, you know they're going to pass you up. They're, you're not going to get a second opportunity, especially in a, in a year like that where it is very tough to make American Hockey League teams. And um, looking back for things I would do differently, uh, you know, I don't know. It's 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 tough to say what you would do differently. Uh, I think that you know I was living out in California at the time, and I thought that. You know, San Diego was only two hours away from where I was living in LA at the time, and thought, "Oh, it's been an easy transition just to move down there." And you know, possibly looking back, it maybe wasn't the smartest decision for for hockey wise. I think there was maybe better development for me in somewhere like Idaho or or even Toledo at the time. I know it's um, not as uh, <laughs> not as pretty a city as uh, San Diego, and I think perhaps at the time I maybe just chose the easier option for location-wise, but uh, probably development-wise, I should have maybe, uh, you know, thought of somewhere a little different. And then maybe that summer, one of the key things happens to you in your career. You go to GB um, and you play four games in, in the Division 1, but you you hook up with a former Belfast giant whose name hangs at the at the bridge there, Colin Ward, and uh, you end up in the Belfast Giants later that winter. Yeah, I met um, Colin and some other guys. Jeff Hode that had played for the for the Giants previously, and um, but it sort of came around. I think it was in about August time, early August. I got a call. I was in Canada at the time and was training there in the summer, and I was still trying to get an American League tryout um, at the time. I talked to a couple of East Coast League teams, and Ed Courtney called me and said, um, "Do you want to come play for the Giants in Belfast?" And I said, "Well, I'm still trying to hold out for." an American League tryout. And he was very respectful at the time and said, yeah, that's not a problem. We'll, we'll sort of keep an open line of converse, you know, communication and, and, you know, let me know how it goes. And I went to a training camp in Grand Rapids um, for the American League and was there, played a few exhibition games and uh, didn't work out, of course. And then, uh, yeah, after that, came back home and spoke to Ed and he said, yeah, we're, we've got a guy got, you know, picked up an injury and, um, we got a spot open, but I couldn't come until November first uh, until they made a couple of, couple of moves, and uh, yeah, came over November first. I think about a month after Theo came over, uh, and then the rest is history. Sort of on that first year, had a great year. Uh, we won the championship, uh, you know, close battle with Newcastle most of that year, but um, you know, to win it that year, my first year over was was a nice relief and sort of gave me some confidence, you know, after a t- tough first year pro. What was it like playing in that 05 Belfast team, you know, with Theo, Ed Courtney was something special, you know, Curtis Hoppy smashing goals in, you came in, it was just a team Jason Bowen on the back end, good goaltending, it had a little bit of everything, that team. Yeah, I think it's said it a few times, you don't really appreciate it until maybe a few years later, until 10 or 15 years later now, but um, yeah, as you said, we had, we had some pretty stacked first couple lines, it, it, you know, I think I played with Ed a little bit at the start when I first came, and he was one of the, the best playmakers and, and smartest players I've ever played with. And then he ended up moving up and playing with it was him, Theo, and Huppy that played together on the first line. And then it was um, George Awad and myself and Sean Skihar played together. And 
we would sort of match up against a lot of the t- other teams sort of, uh, you know, top lines is a little bit more of a shutdown line, but we'd still bang some goals in and, and some points. And then, uh, then, you know, the third line was a little bit of a mix with, uh, you know, some of the other guys, depending if Jason Bowen or, or Shane Johnson, whoever was playing up front or, you know, or on D. So, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of everything and, uh, you know, a good third line check in line, especially for the league back then. Most teams were pretty two line heavy and, uh, you know, now teams are more three line heavy with a, you know, it's sort of a fourth line as well, but, uh, different game back then too. But, you know, you said you probably put the top two lines in their day against any sort of top two lines now or anything. I mean, it's a different, different game, different speed, but. Uh, and then you say Mike Menard and that, uh, and then Nathan Craze stepping in as well when Mike was was injured. So um, it was definitely, uh, you know, what a great year. And I saw a picture the other day of the, I think it was at the banquet or something. And, and it's just funny looking at all the old styles and hairstyles and clothes and everything. And it just, it's. I think when you have a three line team as well, you're like, where's the rest of the players in this? <laughs> you, you know, you go from a team like 24 guys, team Giants have made players they have this year. Or last year, we had like 24 players, and they look at that team as like 17 of us. Yeah. You know? And, and one, one thing that sticks out towards the end of the regular season, maybe about four or so games to go, was Ed Courtney having his famous meltdown. I think it was Boniface's. <laughs> Boniface's tossed away the game, disallowed a goal. I can't remember exactly what exacerbated it, but like, have you seen a coach going that mental before? Um. Well, maybe the last couple of years. <laughs> 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 just kidding, just kidding. But he, um, no, I think I think it came down to because we could have it was like a Saturday night or, yeah. or or something at home and we could have won the league at home. I believe is that yeah, is that what correct. it was? I think it was against Cardiff. Yeah, so we could have won the league and it was maybe a close game and then he disallowed a goal or made a bad call. They scored in the power play and uh, Ed just lost the plot and then Theo actually got kicked out of that game as well. And then it turned out Newcastle played Edinburgh or something on a Thursday night. And then they end up losing. So we won the league. I've never won the league on the ice. This was on the Thursday night. So then we end up winning on the Thursday. But then our next game was on the Saturday in Nottingham, I think. But Ed and Theo were both suspended for it. So if you see a picture, the first picture with the trophy is actually on the ice. And they're wearing like a suit or a tracksuit or something. So uh, it's, it's kind of a funny story. But I've never seen a coach throw that many things onto the ice. It was just like, oh, one thing after another. And then you can actually see on the bench that night too. There's just – now I think this, the bench is the same size now and there's players that have to stand up because there's no space on it. And then you look at that there on that bench and there's just like gaps everywhere. You can fit with 10 more players on there. And then that season – and I know we look back on, on different seasons. We maybe look back on last year where we're the width of a post – in two games against Ireland and against Cardiff, and I think it was yourself at a slap shot in the playoff final that you know could have changed history. We go to the playoffs that year. Should we have won the playoffs that year? Um, yeah, I mean the playoffs is such. I mean I've said yeah. this so many times. The playoffs is such a. It's literally two games. I mean you just have to you have to get some bounces, have some breaks, and um, you have to get some calls as we've seen over the years too and um, you just got to have things go your way if things go your way for a couple of games you can finish 8th place um, Newcastle I think finished 2nd that year obviously and then went on to win but um, you've seen teams in the past finish 8th and then, and then win it so um, I don't know if we should have won or not I, I think we had the team that the best team over the course of the season I think won I think Newcastle had a great team that year. Nothing away from them. They had good goaltending. They had a different style of team than us. They were built more on toughness and and had some some key scoring at some key times. Um, but uh, yeah, they they were better on the day, and we you know we didn't bring it. And uh, they they you know they deserved to win on that day. I'm sure the Belfast Giants had a contract under your nose that summer, but you took the opportunity to go back to the states. Yeah, it's another one where. Um, it's just tricky. It's it's year to year. I mean, even now the contracts are, you know, two years, you know, written on a napkin. I mean, it's just it's it's one thing where you're just every year you're you're thinking whether where you're going to play next, whether you're going to get a contract where you're where you are, whether you're going to get offered more money somewhere else. It's not um, had a great time in Belfast. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Wanted to come back, but at the same time, I was twenty five, twenty six years old and. Um, as we talked about, I had a bad run in the East Coast League, my first year pro, and uh, wanted another go at it. So, you know, I really wanted to come back to Belfast, but I still felt I had had more in the tank to try and give another shot uh, in the American League, the East Coast League. And 
um, decided to go back and, and end up playing in Fresno and then Idaho and got off to a decent start in Fresno. Um, but, you know, maybe again, as a scorer, you know, in the East Coast League on a East Coast League contract, you, you got to be putting up some decent numbers and it wasn't decent enough to keep me there. Um, then I went to Idaho. They had a bunch of injuries, got the opportunity to play a lot, play on the power play, um, put up some good numbers Then got a bit of an injury, um, you know, a bit of a facial injury, actually and a concussion. So I ended up uh, missing the sort of the end of the season, not making the playoff roster. So that was pretty much it for my season, missed the world championships. Um, and then, uh, yeah, but it was, it was one of those things where I wanted to try and give the American league another shot. And, um, you know, I thought I played pretty well in Idaho and if I was going to get a shot, that was sort of going to be it. After that, after that season, um, you come back to Belfast again, or sorry, you come back to the UK again, <laughs> I, I come back to the UK again, and I'm going to be talking to Todd Kelman <laughs> next, ne- next week. Um, I, a lot of Belfast Giants fans would have expected if you were coming back to Belfast that or back to the UK that Belfast would have been the place, but you end up with Newcastle for the season. Yeah, I mean, I, it was sort of springtime, and Todd had just started, you know, taking on the GM role in Belfast, and uh, you know, I think I talked to him a little bit, and I was talking to Rob Wilson, who I'd known from the, from Team GB, and I think Todd was still pretty young in the, in the general manager's game and uh you know maybe didn't uh you know maybe i wouldn't say appreciate him and i are, are really good friends now he's the MC at our wedding and we've laughed about so many of these things but uh you know at the time probably didn't put the importance on especially back then when you had 10 british or nine or 10 imports on a team how important it was to have good brits and uh you know it was nothing against him but you know especially being young and I had a great time in Belfast, but it was one of those things for, you know, I felt like I was sort of do something, even though no one's really do or anything, owed anything in the game, but you want to kind of get what you're worth. And um, he didn't really think that I was worth, you know, what I thought at the time, and we couldn't get really come to agreement. And, uh, you know, the Vipers did, and, and I went there for a year. Um, had a good year there, we had a good team, and, and you know, a lot of injuries, but... Um, you know, I had a good run there, a good time, and I made some good friends as well. And um, But made my way back to Belfast, uh, you know, the next year. It's an arena that I miss travelling to uh, as a fan, the Newcastle Arena. It was a really great place to play hockey. Yeah, it's weird. It's not like a pretty arena. It's not in great shape. It's, you know, locker rooms are right next to each other. The boards aren't great, but it's, it's a good rink to play in. I always enjoy playing there as um it's you know you know as a as a viper and even when you're you're from Belfast to go play there is always a great atmosphere and stuff and it's a shame that there was no team well there's no team there anymore and um, you know they always had passionate fans and I thought they had a good enough following that they could have continued but of course in the current climate and uh, you know it is expensive to run a team and I thought Rob and um, Paul Ferrone did a great job to keep it alive as long as they did and you know if you're losing money in, in a business like that and you're there's only so much you can do after a while. No, I don't. I don't have the the reasoning here. But no GB representation that summer. Was there an injury? Was there a reason? Yeah, yeah. In the playoff semifinals, I think we played Coventry in the semifinal. I got a slap shot on the inside of my foot and uh, finished the game, of course. And then, and um, <laughs> after the game, went to hospital and I broke my foot. So I end up being uh, out in Nottingham on the Saturday night with a massive cast on. But there was no third, fourth place game that year anyway. So I was really disappointed because if there was, I would have. Got to miss it, but um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I broke my foot, so I ended up missing, had to cast on for the first four weeks of the six weeks of the summer, um, which was disappointing because I think that year the tournament was in Austria, um, and it was one of those ones where the, the hotel is just a five star hotel right next to the rink, and um, so it was it was a, it was a tough one to miss. Sixty five points in fifty games for the Vipers rose your stock even more in the UK the Belfast Giants came and, and sorted a contract that summer yes yeah, that was when Steve Thornton was coming back to the Giants there in 2008 and uh, I talked to him before and I'd known him from Team GB and um, you know one thing I thought uh, saying we were talking about money and things I think I've always been pretty fair with contracts I've never held out or you know held a gun to a team's head I think I've always you know been pretty reasonable and, and very lucky to play the game that you know, a game for a living for as long as I have and, you know, try not to take advantage of situations. And, um, you know, the Giants were, you know, gracious enough to offer me a contract at the time and um, came back. I think it was on a two-year deal. And, um, 
you know, signed and Steve was there and came back. And then next year, I think we won the Challenge Cup and the Knockout Cup that year. And um, that was a really good team. It was a young team. And, you know, guys like Bobby Robbins and Dave, young Davey Phillips and um, Andrew Martin, Paul, uh, Paul Dennison. So Stevie Lyle and that. I mean, a great team, some great memories from that year. We played a couple of, uh, or more than a couple, maybe about half a dozen games or so in Dundonald that year. And, and as your practice rink, and you will note Dundonald inside out. And a lot of Belfast Giants fans that are, are following the club now won't have had that experience. But like we, we were never beaten in the ice bowl. It was, it was quite a little uh, homestand we had going there. Fortress, if you will. But the, uh, no, it was, it was kind of, I mean, to me, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just one of those players that's never, like I always, like the ice bowl i think it's a good rank and you know maybe not for for a professional elite league level i mean now i don't think they'd get away with playing a game there but you know back then it, it was it was a good option for for the team where maybe they couldn't get the the arena and obviously weren't owned by the, the odyssey trust and uh you know there was a window of opportunity there where we could we could play a couple of games there some challenge cup games and have a huge home ice advantage and um, as you say, it was very fortunate for us to be able to pick up some wins. And I think we won the first trophy. Was it the knockout or the challenge? I can't remember which one. I think we might have been the challenge cup. We won. We did. Yeah. At the, uh, good memory, uh, at the ice bowl there. So, um, but yeah, but a good turnout there and, and the fans obviously right on top of you and around the glass. But, uh, I'm sure the other teams coming there are probably like, what the hell is this place? Yeah. I, I absolutely love the ice bowl games. But the, the two things that stand out for me from the ice bowl games was the, the Challenge Cup semi-final, um, Jason Rushton scores the game-winning goal. And then in the final, I don't know whether you even remember, the game-winning goal was Mike Burgoyne goes coast-to-coast coast, um, from behind his own net and scores the winner. It's just for absolute scenes. Yeah, I think um, I think in the final, I think that was a short... I think it was the game was the game was tied and they had a power play. You'd have to recheck the time on the clock. But I think it was a four... I think they were in a four-on-three power play. I don't think it was five on three. It was four on three for sure, I think. And he scored a shorthanded goal, yeah. He scored on Murph. And then, obviously, Murph, we, we beat Murph and the Manchester in both finals. And then uh, Murph came and signed for us the next year. I remember, at, as these conversations do, having a conversation in the toilets of the um, <laughs> of uh, the the Manchester. It wasn't the arena. It was the, the tent, the same place to play now. But it was the Phoenix that... Murph was playing for at the time, and there was two Manchester guys, and I think it was the semi-final of uh, we're playing. We might have played them in the semi-final. I can't remember what it was, but these two guys were absolutely ripping Stephen Murphy. I remember, <laughs> I remember, I remember saying to him, that I didn't obviously know that we were even in for, him, but I wish he would sign in Belfast because what a goalie! And it turned out he, he signed that, that summer. But people don't realise maybe what to have on until it's gone and. You know, we talk, we, we go on then. That was a, that was a great year, as you talk with some really great memories from back then when you, when you sit and think about them, that some Jason Rushton stories that Taft, <laughs> Taft tells about him losing his skates or not losing his skates. But, um, you know, we, we, we go on then. You have a couple of years in Belfast. I suppose that the next one is one that's unbelievably 10 years ago, I think tomorrow, um, where you got to get your hands on the playoff trophy. Yeah, that was one of those seasons where um had a good year the year before. I'd say we won the won the Challenge Cup, the Knockout Cup, ended up you know, have a really good second half of the season points wise and uh I think ended up second in the league in scoring and then uh that next year the year we had uh, Bateman and, and Benedict and, and Suez and um just sort of a stacked team and Peacock's first year in Belfast. Um you know, and Murph really coming into his own in the second half of that year, I think. It was almost like a dream year, but it, then it all came to kind of a weird halt. This, you know, as things got down to towards the end of the year, where Coventry was ahead of us, and we just couldn't seem to catch up to them. And they just, it was. I think they, you know, we maybe had fifteen losses or fourteen losses, and we were in second place, and, and they were only ahead by a couple of points. It was, it was bizarre. It seemed like, you know, it should have been right there for us, um, but we just couldn't seem to get there. And then it came right down to that last weekend where. I think they won on the Saturday night or, you know, against Edinburgh or something. But um, going into that playoff, uh, we played against Newcastle, who sort of had been a big rival for a couple of years there uh, in the semifinals. And uh, we dusted them off pretty easily. And then we went on to play uh, Nottingham in the, in the first semi, 1-1, I think, and then went to a shootout. You know, Suez scoring two goals in a shootout to get to the final. 
And then uh, in the final, obviously, against Cardiff, um, you know, Murph played unbelievable, made that huge save against Beerbrier, and, uh, you know, and the rest is history with Chevy. And uh, I think it was fitting for our team. I think we, we did deserve to get something out of that year. I mean, to have such a stacked team and and dominate, I wouldn't say dominate, but to have such a dominant team, dominant team, I guess, before I'd say it, to, to come out empty-handed for that team would have just been devastating. And, uh, you know, we had such a close-knit team that year. We probably had more fun. Um, I wouldn't say too much fun, but, uh, you know, you always see the, the, the teams that have the most fun are on the best off the ice, so the teams that are the best on the ice. And um, some of my best friends, you know, were on that team and, and are still my best friends now, Brandon Bandict and, uh, you know, Craig Peacock, Jeffrey Suez. I mean, some of those guys... Uh, you know, to be able to share the playoff final. And obviously, don't forget, you know, Mo and Wally and, mm-hmm. you know, Stephen Murphy and, and all those other guys that were on the team. And, and we um, we uh, we celebrated a little bit in Belfast with, with the trophy that <laughs> that a lot, couple of weeks after. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of guys actually played their very last game for the Belfast Giants that day. You know, I think Shane Johnson had called it a day. Mo didn't play anymore. I think uh, George Awada might have came back and played a few games, but I think that was his retirement game that day. But, it must have been pretty exciting to be captain that day and that brings me to a nice little segue because I remember we're talking there about the Knockout Cup and, and the Challenge Cup and especially the Challenge Cup, one of my favourite still photos of, of anything from the Belfast Giants is Bobby Robbins handing the trophy to Jim Gillespie and the sort of look that he's given him and you got to do that as well with the playoff trophy. Just how important was Jim Gillespie to the whole piece? Yeah, I mean, he came in at, at a tough time for the Giants going way back when, um, you know, there was some financial troubles and, and it was sort of at the brink where, you know, the team might not have made it any any much longer and, um, you know, put up a lot of his own money and, and you know, went to, to people to convince them that, you know, the Giants is a, is a good thing and it's something for the community that both sides can, can both share. And, and we probably wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't for Jim and his family, you know, doing what they did and putting in the money that they did and, um, that's one of those things you don't appreciate it till, till, you know, till later on. And, um, you know, to be, you know, captain that year, you know, this, you know, most of that year and then be able to, you know, hand the trophy to Jim. And, it, and there's that picture where we're both sort of holding the trophy up at the same time. It's, um, you know, he's such a great man that did so many amazing things for the community and for people, um, you know, to be able to share that with him and the fans and, and the other players at that time is something that I think everybody that was there will remember. Sports Social Podcast Network.